Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. For listeners who are new to the show, at the top of every month I'll choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious, and discuss the significance of it with a, a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. This month I'm ex- I am exploring uh, some offbeat Christmas films, and joining me to discuss, he is the one of the co-hosts of the Linoleum Knife podcast, he is the author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. Returning to I Do Movies Badly, it is Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, thank you for joining me again. Thanks for having me, sir. Um, yes, well, it is that time of year, as I was telling Alonzo um, off mic, I suppose. I've been binge-watching shows like the Holiday Baking Championship um, uh, with my girlfriend. Uh, the uh, manure candles have been lit. Every store is a flutter with, uh, with lights and Christmas music. It is that time of year. And uh, Alonzo, this is, this is your specialty. You are the guy when it comes to this. I mean, have yourself a movie little Christmas. This is your thing. Yeah, it, I, I've sort of made a mess of my holidays because uh, <laughs> this time of year rolls around and, hey, it's time to talk about Christmas movies, which I'm always happy to do. But, you know, I've also got about 20 million other things going on between, uh, you know, getting my top 10 list of the year done and, and getting ready to, to vote in the Critics Awards and all that other stuff. But, uh, no, this is a, a treat for me. I, I the, Believe me, I didn't write the book for the money. It was a labor of love. So uh, I, I love to have this conversation every December. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, if you uh, if you have been sticking with the show since the very beginning, you will recognize Alonzo Duralde's uh, dulcet tones because he joined me um, December, I believe, three years ago, and he he recommended some pretty straight up classic Christmas movies. We went over the original Thirty Four uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, um, It's a Wonderful Life, and uh, the Alistair Sim uh, Christmas Carol. Um, but before we kind of get into what we're talking about now, I do like to do a little bit of, of background on the guest. So if you if you don't remember. Uh, or you want to be reacquainted with Alonzo, I guess, Alonzo, this may be a, a general or, or not easy to answer question, but uh, what is it about Christmas for you? What, what is it that, that, you, that you get into so much that, just, that is not only something that you enjoy, but you wrote a book about it? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I've always loved Christmas. I'm, I'm the youngest of seven children. I grew up in a, wow. in a big family. And so Christmas is always a very big, very big deal in my house. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I have a lot of fond memories of. And uh, part of those traditions for, for me was, you know, the movies that we would watch. I uh, was a kid in the early 70s, which was sort of the golden age of uh, It's a Wonderful Life being out of copyright. Uh, that was that <laughs> moment where the movie had fallen into the public domain and it was just like on every single TV station all the time. Right. So uh, I would literally get to the end of it and change channels and catch it in media rest on some other channel. In fact, I, I don't know that I saw it start to finish until I was like at least a teenager. But um, so, you know, I just that that was one of those associations that I always had. So uh, the more and more that I got into movies and the more that it became my job, um, you know, I just always kind of liked Christmas movies. And I always liked discovering new ones. And um, 
once I started, you know, working for for newspapers and magazines, uh, even before the internet, the listicle was always very popular. And so, just oh, yes. would roll around, and they'd be like, "Oh, give us a list of you know unusual Christmas films or Christmas horror movies or movies that you don't think are Christmas movies but that secretly are that kind of thing." <laughs> and so, after I had had enough of those under my belt, I thought maybe there's a book in this, you know, <laughs> to sort of look not just at the kind of you know, a Christmas story and elf and the ones that you would expect, but like to remind people, Hey, you know, uh, eyes wide shut is set entirely at Christmas. And <laughs> so, is, so is the lion in winter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then along the way I, I got to see a lot of movies I had never heard of or never had thought of be about it in terms of their, their Christmasness. And so it's been an interesting uh, journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I'm sure some listener out there might be, uh, well, listening to this and thinking like, well, Alonzo, he's a film critic, he's into Christmas movies, so obviously he, he's into the classics or he's into the ones that have also some artistic merit, long-lasting or temporary, which um, uh, which he can use to then justify his love of certain movies. But I mean, you, but you're, you're <laughs> this might not be the correct phrase, but Christmas agnostic, I mean, it's all sorts. I mean, if I, <laughs> if I remember or if I know correctly, you're even tweeting about Hallmark Channel uh, Christmas movies as you're watching them. It is true. I am. I'm. I'm pretty ecumenical <laughs> about it, and and uh, my my husband always likes to joke that you know writing the book is what got me to see all the good ones, and now <laughs> now that I've burned my way through them, all I have left to feed my Jones is what Hallmark delivers every year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I don't pretend that that you know that they're all created equal. I, I can tell you why you know uh, uh, Christmas in Connecticut is is valuable and important in, on a level that you know. Uh, whatever was on Hallmark this week, you know, mingle all the way is not. Uh, but you know, I, I do get a certain rush out of all of these movies in one way or another. And and believe me, there are Christmas movies I don't like. I'll certainly never sit through the Nutcracker in 3D again. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it is, I, I, I do throw my arms fairly widely open for the genre, yes. Okay. But now of those four realms, which one was the most interesting to you? Hmm. Uh, the Lobby. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm talking about there was a there was there was another Nutcracker movie a few years ago that makes the Nutcracker of the Four Realms look like a classic. Oh, uh, this was the the one with uh, L. Fanning that co-starred uh, Nathan uh, Nathan Lane as Albert Einstein. I, I my brain can't even wrap my head around that. I'm I'm not going to oh, attempt to. You, you'd have to see it to believe it. I didn't even get into the Holocaust metaphors yet. It's a very <laughs> strange film. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, welcome to I Do Movies Badly, the only film podcast in which a Christmas movie discussion will involve allusions to the Holocaust, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, okay, now I guess, and, and this might be a, a broad question as well, but for, I guess we should establish this first before we, before we then further establish what we're going for, but how do you define a Christmas movie? Is it something as simple as just, hey, if Christmas is in it, it is a Christmas movie? You know, I think that everybody sort of gets to make up their own mind about that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, obviously, being set during the Christmas season is a big is a big indicator. Um, and then you can parse whether you want to whether you want to or not the idea of well, does it have to be at Christmas? Could the story only work at Christmas? Mm-hmm. Um, I in- even included uh, John Waters's Female Trouble, which really only has one scene set at Christmas, mm-hmm. but it is such an iconic cinematic moment where uh, Divine does not get the cha-cha heels she asked for for Christmas, 
and retaliates by dumping the Christmas tree on top of her parents. Uh, you know, that seemed important enough to me to include in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's a very your mileage may vary situation. I, for one, am no longer having the Die Hard is a Christmas movie argument okay. online. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it is mm-hmm. uh, for a number of reasons, every, you know, including everything from the fact that, you know, the heist is intentionally set on Christmas for various reasons of the plot. Yep. You know, an estranged couple uh, uh, finds each other anew on Christmas Eve, and the wife's name is Holly. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that's that's. Uh, I got to say, in terms of, I guess, Christmas movies, that is, uh, I'm sure my girlfriend will agree with me. Die Hard is the the unfortunately the biggest blind spot of mine. When we first started dating, we sort of established a a list of movies we must see, whether it's stuff we wanted to rewatch together or or new stuff we were curious to see. And, and I think when I mentioned I had never seen Die Hard, that was the largest or, or the loudest audible gasp I've ever heard from her and still um at least as of this <laughs> recording still haven't seen it but we'll fix that wow. yeah well you know I I used to gasp and now I have replaced it with I envy you for getting to see it for the first time <laughs> that's that's a good that is a good way of looking at it so I guess now what is in your personal opinion I guess what what makes a I mean we know what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie but what makes for you a a, a good one is it is it something i mean clearly sure if, if there's an artistic merit if there's some craft of the director and the screenwriting performances all that sort of stuff but i mean it, there's something sort of emotionally intangible about christmas movies that we sort of look for in them that we don't seem to look for in a horror movie or, or certainly something different in like a horror movie or, or in like a, a a comedy or something so what is when you're going into a Christmas movie, what do you do? You have sort of criteria, which is like, if it hits this and it does that, this is going to be one that I think is is valid or valuable. Well, I think what's 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 kind of cool about Christmas movies is they they cover so many different types of films, mm-hmm. you know, within the genre. It's a Venn diagram that kind of hits everything. I mean, there are a lot of Christmas horror films, and quite of them are, are quite a few of them are are effective in what they're trying to do and mm-hmm. deliver as a horror film and find an interesting way to use the holiday setting, even if it's merely to sort of juxtapose the you know the 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 the, the, the goodness and the innocence of the season opposite the you know nefarious doings of of the people in the film. Um, but as far as like you know a straight up Christmas movie goes, I think my favorite ones are the sort of redemption narratives. You know mm-hmm. the the stories about people that have that have grown apart or that 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 have turned their back on the world for whatever reason and something about christmas and the season and and you know the 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 capacity for people to be their best selves at christmas sort of saves the day in a way you know mm-hmm. uh, i think there's a, there's a through line that can be drawn from from a christmas story to it's a wonderful life sorry a christmas carol rather mm. to it's a wonderful life even into home alone i think these are all stories about people who for one reason or other have have you know lost out on um their their you know connection to other people they are given a somewhat nightmarish glimpse at an alternate life and come to realize what it is they're missing or what it is they have that they've taken for granted uh and and come to appreciate that so uh those three heroes i think are all on a a somewhat similar journey and i think it's a very specific christmas kind of journey because we think of christmas as a time where you know wounds can be healed and and wrongs can be forgiven 
and and you know connections can be restored. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, I think that my mother would enjoy watching Christmas movies with you a lot more than she would with me because you strike me as the <laughs> you strike me as the type who would not be trying to talk her out of watching Christmas with the Cranks or Deck the Halls, but rather just sit and enjoy it on its own terms, which I think she would appreciate. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I talk about Christmas movies I don't like. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of either of those two. But, you know, uh, if your mom makes good cookies, I could be, be pressed to sit through anything. Yeah, my, my, my mom's baked goods are, are, uh, are up to snuff, I will say that. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting what you say because, I, 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 I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for Christmas, for the, the movies, the music, the lights, all I, – I buy into it hardcore and there's something i sort of admit is this there's a a weird sort of dissonance between my buying into all this stuff but also as i get older kind of being the more cynical person and and skeptical of consumerism and that type of thing and yet the season comes around there's we're so or at least i am so sort of willing to buy into whatever is being sold even if it is blatantly sort of being sold to me um i don't really know if there's a, a question or a statement for you to respond to on that as much as just that's what that's what sort of sticks out to me. I I think that one of the things about Christmas is that it sort of allows us a holiday from irony and cynicism. (laughs) Um, And, and sure people are willing to exploit that, but I think, yeah, there is something about uh, the, the way that, that, you know, so much of, of what we love about Christmas is tied to our memories of childhood, you know, and it's not that thing of like the people who, you know, get mad about Star Wars sequels ruining their childhood or whatever. <laughs> I think there's something about Christmas that allows you to kind of tap into who you were then and how you looked at the world then. And it, it you know, you get to sort of uh, unshackle some of your adult expectations of the world or your even your adult expectations of art, you know. Uh, some of these movies may be ones that uh, in other parts of the year you might find too sentimental or, you know, too treacly or, or whatever. But, you know, you kind of welcome that sense of, uh, of, of, of humanity and of, of raw emotion. You know, uh, some of these movies I kind of think of as eggnog. You couldn't drink it all year or you'd get sick, <laughs> but, you know, you, it, it, it's a once-a-year treat. Mm-hmm. And now, now that you've said that, I mean, does, does that necessarily mean that if – and there's not a specific example which is occurring to me at this moment, but if a, if a film does or a filmmaker does kind of try and put the – irony or like a bitterness or a nastiness into a Christmas movie almost in a sort of way of sort of like uh, to subvert it or to spite it does that necessarily rub you the wrong way or does it sort of depend on what they're ultimately going for I, you know, I think it depends on what they're going for. I mean, you know, again, like It's a Wonderful Life is this beloved film that we've all sort of collectively taken to our bosom, but it's a very dark film. Yes. I mean, this is a movie about a guy who is trying to, to commit suicide, and it's actually the second Frank Capra movie about a guy trying to commit suicide on Christmas Eve. He'd already, <laughs> you know, kind of approached that in Meet John Doe, uh, you know, before World War II. Um, and so, you know, I know I, I don't think that anything is, is off the table with Christmas movies i think there's one of the things that's so great about them is that there's so many different ways to explore these stories so uh i you know will enjoy uh, a re- really kind of quiet and subdued indie like say christmas again mm-hmm. as much as i like the sort of technicolor you know excesses of white christmas mm-hmm. um it's it's interesting you mentioned that because i was trying to work away into the conversation that i could say christmas again was a movie that i did not see until having a conversation with you a few years ago um, and checking it out, and it's it's listeners. If you haven't ever seen it, it's a uh, it's absolutely delightful. It's it's 
one of the smallest scale Christmas movies in the sense of not just like its its scope and execution, but it's one that uh, I don't want to say it doesn't strive to to be much. It doesn't strive to be more than it is, and I think it it succeeds remarkably well at doing that. Yeah, it's a it's a terrific film. They actually uh, uh, did a, a Blu-ray reissue of it this year, finally for the first time. Oh, and uh, yeah, it, it it is a very it's a it's a very you know human sized movie. Uh, but I think really uh, you know it captures a lot about humanity. It 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 really lets you know a lot about its characters, and uh, it it kind of. For a lot of people, I think the holidays are a melancholy time of year, and 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 as much as they're about sort of family connection and 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 closeness with with friends and loved ones, you know, the absence of that can be as prominent during the holidays for some people. And I think this is a movie that really kind of addresses that sort of uh, ache of of you know having lost a connection and 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 seeking it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can I can feel free getting into that one a little bit because that is not one of the titles that Alonzo is going to recommend for me. We will get into that obviously a little bit later. But so then, um, other side or, or pendulum swings the opposite direction. What makes is is there a thing that then makes a, a Christmas movie bad for you? And obviously, you can see something like Deck the Halls or Christmas with the Cranks, where you can just objectively say like, well, this is just a a bad film in general that also is very christmas themed but if, is there something like is there a way that a filmmaker or like a or a film can sort of spoil the season spoil the spirit just kind of like ruin what they're trying to go for by doing it in a incorrect way maybe i mean you know i think that if you're dealing with a filmmaker who doesn't understand people you know doesn't understand how how people work and what human relationships are like then that's going to come off as being sort of lazy and flaccid in your film Mm -hmm. um i think drives me crazy is you know i mean i the thing is as somebody i i i I love christmas a a whole lot but i'm also an atheist Mm -hmm. um and the thing that drives me nuts are these movies where santa clearly exists and yet (laughs) People don't believe in him, and so, and and those people are meant to be punished. And it just it it, it opens this whole theological can of worms that drives me insane. Because like we're telling kids that it's bad not to believe in Santa, even though they're eventually going to figure out that he doesn't exist. But in the world of this movie, there is a Santa, Mm -hmm. and he does bring gifts. But somehow, people don't believe it. I don't know that that's. That's a conundrum that just like sends me up the wall. <laughs> which is interesting. Then, then you get into a movie like which is would maybe fit into the category we're talking about, but something like Rare Exports, which is like <laughs> starts down the road of like, yeah, Santa does exist. He's just not the creature or being that you would think that he is, and actually his his purposes are quite nefarious. And mythology has just been twisted to kind of sanitize what is actually quite an evil creature, which I find to be quite refreshing. Oh yeah, no. I, if you want to play around with the mythos and 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 you know, uh, like you know, I I, I'm, I I love that there's a whole subset of Krampus movies floating around now. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just don't like try and have your cake of no, there really is a Santa, and yet he exists in a world where no, where they don't believe him. It's sort of like if. You know, like the idea of of like Watchmen, for instance, is like, well, yeah, superheroes are a real thing. And because of that, nobody reads superhero comics because they're a real thing. Mm-hmm. But you could then have superheroes that clearly exist, but then no one believes they exist, even though they would have proof of it. Uh, you know, it's it's nutty. Yeah, um, I like I like the uh, <laughs> since it is it is Christmas now, I, I, I have the our heart 
iHeartRadio app on my phone, and then in free in my free time, I'll be walking around the city and, and have the, the the Christmas music playing. And something that I find hilarious is the uh, the song "Here Comes Santa Claus." If you actually listen to the later verses, it sort of fits in the middle of this weird Venn diagram where it wants to appease people who believe in Santa Claus and in Jesus. Because right, right. There, there's and a Santa Claus for all God's children. <laughs> yeah, we're all, almost as though. Yes, God created everything, including Santa Claus, to reward. So it's like, so is is Santa and Jesus on the same level now? And that and that gets into some weird theological implications, which I'm uncomfortable yeah, with. Yeah, the the Mexican Santa Claus uh, from 1959, which is brilliantly nutty, uh, has an early moment in which Santa, you see him sort of setting up the crash at the North Pole, and it's it's sort of like telling the audience, okay, look, we know, you know, the we're, we're not trying to usurp the reason of the season here, mm-hmm. but it just sort of opens, it just leads to more complicated <laughs> questions. And now, that's an interesting question, too, or this idea of, so uh, in researching your book and just in being an enthusiast about this, I'm guessing you've also indulged in your fair share of, uh, of foreign cinema, which um, other countries, you know, they may celebrate Christmas in a different way, or a, a a a holiday which may be sort of have parallels to, or sort of is Christmas adjacent. So, can you can you think of of like cinematic examples of maybe where where there is um I don't I don't I want to say a foreign influence, but but where like a, another perspective kind of added something to this archetype or or this sort of subgenre, if you will, which we sort of kind of just sort of take for granted sort of a, a cookie cutter sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I my parents were both born in Spain, so I actually grew up in a household where, you know, Christmas Eve was the big dinner, and that mm-hmm. was where kind of the action was, and Christmas Day was, for the most part, sort of an afterthought, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we would go to the movies or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it is interesting to watch, like, French films like A Christmas Tale and, and sort of see mm-hmm. the, the, the differing traditions. There's a whole gag in uh, a French comedy that, that I really love called La Buche, mm-hmm. um, about uh, three adult dogs daughters of this family who were all going through different personal crises as the holidays hit and dealing with their aging parents. Um, but there's one sister played by Emmanuel Bayard who is like super type A, like perfect Martha Stewart homemaker. And um, she and her sister are trussing up the turkey and they've just finished sewing it closed and they realize to their horror that they have forgotten to stuff it with truffles. <laughs> and now Christmas is ruined because you have to have the truffles. I was like, okay, I did not know that, but I, I guess <laughs> in some places in the world, that's a thing. And you better get the troubles in that turkey or you have ruined the holiday. Right. Um, and, and, but there is something, it seems so quintessentially American about a lot of the things that we sort of consider the Christmas classes. I mean, I was I was raised in a household where if it was Christmas Eve, then the 24-hour marathon of A Christmas Story was playing in the background. Whether you were paying attention right. to it or not, it was still ever-present, if you will. Um, but just sort of wondering, like, does that movie translate to... Hell, even Canada. Does it translate to Europe? Is that something that people are sort of like? I, I don't, I don't, I don't get this American cinema. What, what's the big deal about this? Yeah, I don't know how many of the films that that we cherish in this regard really <laughs> travel. Um, and and you're right. Different countries do have different ones. Like the aforementioned Mexican Santa Claus, apparently like It's a Wonderful Life, was was fairly ubiquitous on Mexican TV for a long time. So for a lot of people, that's a film that they grew up on every year during the holidays. Um, and one t- a couple of years ago in, in L.A., uh, Dave and I went to a screening of a French comedy called Le Père Noël est une ordure, which is, uh, I think, sort of roughly translates to Santa is a shit. Um, 
<laughs> and it's a very funny comedy, which was remade quite badly in English as Mixed Nuts oh. um, with Steve Martin and Madeline Kahn. Um, but the original French version, uh, apparently, also a kind of a holiday perennial, always comes on TV like at Christmas time. And I think we were the only people in the audience that weren't Francophones. Like everybody else who was there, was this was a movie they'd clearly seen dozens of times. They'd grown up watching it at the holidays. So it's interesting how, you know, you mentioned It's a Wonderful Life, I'm sure, in other countries. And they're kind of like, uh, yes, James Stewart, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, everybody kind of has their own thing. You know, there, there's that weird German tradition at New Year's. Do you know about this? I do not. It's some it's some English language comedy sketch about an old rich woman and her butler. And it it's barely even funny. But, like, it is the thing that they show on German television every New Year's Day. And I've read whole articles trying to explain why it's a thing. And I still don't understand it. But, you know, it's... It's fascinating how this stuff travels. I mean, it's sort of like how in Japan they've really connected KFC and Santa Claus and Christmas. Yes. Because apparently some Americans who were living in Japan in the early 70s, you know, it was Christmas time and they couldn't find a turkey anywhere. So they got fried chicken. And then it became this thing now where like KFC does just this enormous business in Japan. It's like the thing that people eat on Christmas. Like you book your Christmas dinner months <laughs> in advance. You get this whole big elaborate thing that sometimes people come with like a cake and a bottle of champagne and like different, you know, toys and things that, that depict Colonel Sanders as Santa Claus. It's crazy. So, you know, it's it, it, it's just the, the holiday, you know, makes its way around into different cultures in very different ways. <laughs> it's, it's so funny that something like that is at the forefront of my mind because I'm doing... Uh, if if anyone is is like actually personal friends with me on Facebook, I every year for Christmas I kind of try and do like you know um, something new each day. So in past years I've done like you know Christmas decorations I've seen around the city and location. And last year I did how different states in the United States celebrate Christmas. And this year I was going to do Christmas around the world. And, and yeah, doing Christmas traditions around the world. One of them was the KFC one in in Japan. I'm like I'm going to have to come back to that. Cause... Yeah, I, well, you know, have, have you have you found out about the whole um, Santa Claus in Holland comes in a sleigh that's towed by eight to ten black men? Oh uh, yeah, uh, I, I I I have not researched that recently, but I've I've heard I, I've heard about that in the past. Yeah, there, there's a David Sedaris I think wrote a story about it, but it's really strange, and it being the Netherlands, apparently, like it's not uncommon for people to just do blackface yeah. to do this thing. It, it's very strange, but yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, you know, every country has a thing that other countries look at and go, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and here I was for like, for most of my life thinking that my Dutch ancestry was largely uninteresting in milk toast. And no, actually there's tremendous <laughs> racism back there. So hooray. <laughs> um, yeah. It, anyway. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is, it, it, it it is kind of in this, uh, not an echo chamber, but I mean, just kind of, uh, there are, there's a weird time, I mean, let me rephrase this a little bit. Um, I, I Growing up, I just sort of took for granted, like, of course, this is what everybody loves. Everybody loves the lights and everybody loves the music and everything. And then you kind of realize like, oh no, things are actually uh, quite different. And, and I'm, this may sound weird, but I'm thankful that I'm sort of the, I am a complicated algorithm which kind of spit out like, yeah, you're going to respond to these sort of things, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, do you, I mean, do you get a little bit tired or, or exacerbated with, I mean, especially we see as, as even the cinematic landscape is changing. I mean, 
the especially here in American cinema, you know, you kind of see there's more of a divide between big budget stuff and indie stuff, and you know, the big budget stuff is kind of typified by tentpole franchises, um, comic book movies, that kind of thing. And, and audiences and critics are kind of getting a little bit exasperated by not offering anything new. Do, are you seeing that for yourself at all, kind of like with how this machine just come kind of comes along every year and like we're going to pump out more Christmas movies, we're going to pump out Snowmance and, and mingle all the way and that kind of stuff. Are, are, are you getting tired of, of that at all? Or is it sort of like, hey, as long as this is going on, I'm going to have more ammunition for, for whatever I like? I mean, I do find a morbid fascination with, like, particularly Hallmark. They This is really the, uh, such a part of their business model now. I mean, like, they do such crazy numbers at the end of the year, and mm-hmm. the number of movies that they, they create each year escalates. What's What I find kind of fascinating is how the how TV Christmas is affecting movie Christmas. I mean, mm. you know... Uh, and and when you when you look like looking back over the, the the course of things, like what we think of as the Christmas movie, didn't necessarily exist until sort of TV kind of brought it into being. Like you look at how Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street was released in the summer because Daryl Zanuck didn't think enough people went to the movies at Christmas time, you know. Yeah. And and um, you look at like my book, and I've looked at other books, and I noticed there's there's a market gap like during the 70s and early 80s where there just really weren't any Christmas movies being made at all. <laughs> um, and now there are. there's obviously a market for them, there's an interest in them, but so many of them are being made for the home, for the, for the cable market mm-hmm. that the, what, you're, what you're getting in theaters is, all right, well, what can we make that's not going to seem like, you know, oh, you could stay home and watch this for free on Hallmark. Mm-hmm. And so what we've been getting in, of years, in, in, in recent years is the R-rated Christmas movie, hmm. you know, stuff like this Christmas Party and Bad Santa and Bad yeah. Santa 2, that kind of thing, which is like, all right, this is at least going to be more raucous and, and you know, it's going to have stuff that TV won't do. Mm-hmm. And then also um, movies uh, with black casts. Yeah. Uh, you know, Best Man Christmas and, and Almost Christmas and This Christmas and uh, Medea Christmas and Black Nativity. Uh, again, you know, because you're not seeing that as much on Hallmark. Hallmark is shifting a little in that direction. I think we have three movies this year with black leads and two more with, with Latinx leads. Mm. Um, so that may be changing in years to come. But at the uh, uh, beyond that, that's sort of been the gap that the theatrical has been filling in because it's the it's the only kind of Christmas movie that they're not making for for the small screen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder too how much of that, and I'm sure we talked about this in the last time that you were on, but I wonder how much of that is also like one of the flames to light that was, I mean, uh, uh, the Christmas Story coming to TV because that was, I mean, that was uh, one of those movies that was, I, I don't believe A Christmas Story when it came out was initially financially successful and was one of those that did find life on T- I, I oh, believe, yeah. Yeah, TNT where it was just sort of, that That was the thing where like, hey, this is going to be cheap, we might as well just play this around Christmas time. Well, you know, it was it was a moderate sized hit and mm-hmm. it was an MGM film, so I guess it was probably party, part, blah, 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 pardon it was an MGM film, so it was probably already part of the Turner Library. Yeah. And somebody at TNT very shrewdly noticed the It's a Wonderful Life phenomenon from the 70s, which is, okay, that movie was a flop when it came out theatrically, mm-hmm. but being shown over and over and over and over again on TV, it just kind of got into the collective DNA. And it's like, well, we own this thing. It's not going to cost us anything to show it. Let's do this marathon. Mm-hmm. And I think the marathons really kind of upped what had been a – it was a moderate hit in theaters and somewhat beloved in some corners 
years into the phenomenon that it is now. And so, you know, there's something to be said for that level of, you know, that's how that's how political propaganda works. You just repeat things enough times until everyone can recite it, you know, uh, verbatim. And so they kind of did the same thing with a Christmas story where they just literally force fed it to people enough to where they realized they loved it. <laughs> and I wonder if someone had a time machine, if they went back in time to to meet Bob Clark and be like, hey, dude who did Porky's, you know you're going to create like a holiday classic. He's like, what, are you serious? Me? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, the crazy thing is that, you know, Clark had already directed Black Christmas, mm-hmm. which is like one of the great Christmas horror movies of all time. Like, tonally couldn't be more different than A Christmas Story. Uh, and actually, he made A Christmas Story from the chits that he earned on Porky's like that, uh, <laughs> that film was so successful that he basically got to write his own ticket. And I think unlike a lot of times when, when filmmakers are, are, are handed their own head, you know, uh, he actually used the, uh, used the, uh, the opportunity to, to its best possibility and, and came up with something really great that, that I'm sure no studio was dying to make at that time. Mm-hmm. And now you, we, we, you talked a little bit about, or at least hit on, Christmas and horror, um, and how you can say like you know this sort of fits with anything. Is there any kind of any type of genre or, or story that you that you don't think? Not that Christmas doesn't work well with it, but it just it doesn't bring out what you think makes Christmas so special. We're we're going to talk a little bit about a, a Christmas western later, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, <laughs> but but is there anything where it's like yeah, this just doesn't work very well together? Uh, nothing leaps to mind. I think that the the you know the, the the thing about being a Christmas movie is that you can sort of you know you can add a dash or you can you know throw in the whole box. And so uh, <laughs> I think that you know you can sort of weave Christmas throughout and kind of use it as a counterpoint or whatever, or you can really go whole hog. But I can't think of a of a genre that I've encountered yet where I was like, oh no, absolutely, you know, leave it out. It just, it doesn't work here. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a good Christmas documentary? Uh, there is one. Uh, actually, there's a couple. Now, now that I think about it, in, in recent years, we've had some some newer ones. But uh, Frederick Wiseman's The Store, mm-hmm. uh, which was set, he shot entirely in the Neiman Marcus flagship store in Dallas okay. over the Thanksgiving and Christmas season of 1982. Oh. And, um, you know, if you know Wiseman's films, he has this interesting way of it's he's a very unobtrusive filmmaker in terms of he, you know, there's there's no narration, there are no interviews. He really just kind of lets the camera hang back and take things in. Obviously, the editing is where he's telling you the story and you know providing a point of view. But as far as the the, the actual filming, like he just kind of steps back and lets things unfold in front of you. And you know what you see in this movie is a lot of really great sort of early 80s, wonderfully garish Dallas, you know, nouveau richness. I used to live in Dallas, so I, you know, I'm allowed to talk about this. Um, but, you know, also about sort of what stores mean to people as a destination and, and you know, during the holidays and, and, and um, you know, what goes on behind the scenes to sort of create these, you know, consumer experiences and these retail experiences as they happen. Uh, so that, that one's really good. And then a couple of years ago, there was a doc called, I think, I Am Santa, mm-hmm. uh, which was produced by, I'm forgetting now which one of them, but there's some big WWE wrestler is apparently a Christmas fanatic and now actually has become like a professional Santa. And it's a doc about professional Santas and the training they go through and, you know, what it's like behind the scenes and how a lot of it's, you know, you have to sort of leave your family and go travel, you know, during December because like the good gigs might not be near where you are. And mm-hmm. it's actually quite interesting. 
I, I believe that maybe uh, uh, Mick Foley, otherwise known as, as Mankind or Cactus Jack, that is it. Love. Yep, uh, I'm, I'm looking up now. I am Santa Claus. Um, it, it's it's got quite an interesting. I can't even say cast, but uh, but people who show up: Tommy Dreamer, apparently another former professional wrestler; Sid Haig, Artie Lang, uh, Roddy yes. Piper, Dee Snyder. This is a yeah, Mick Foley, I believe. Um, also, uh, a multiple uh, multi-time best-selling author, uh, and one of them is, I believe, a children's book uh, for Christmas that he uh, has written as well. So, oh, interesting. Um, now, Alonzo, as a as a Christmas fan and and, and one who has uh, gone from big city to big city, you grew up around Dallas. You live in LA now. Have you been to New York City to see Macy's around Christmas time? Um, I have never been to the Macy's Parade, and I don't know that I've even been in the store at Christmas time. But when the book came out, uh, I did get to do a tour, and I happened to be uh, in New York City a few weeks before Christmas, and so I got to see like the tree all lit up at, at you know at Thirty Rock, and mm-hmm. you know the tree was bigger than I thought it would be, and the ice rink was smaller than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, and then I just did sort of walking around in that in that neighborhood and looked at like you know the windows at Bergdorf's and that kind of mm-hmm. thing and and it was it was great uh, because I really never lived anywhere mm-hmm. that was aggressively snowy in December. I, I grew up in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in Dallas for a while and and I've been in L.A. for almost twenty years now. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting to actually be all bundled up and mm-hmm. on the the crowded sidewalks and 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 seeing all the lights and everything was pretty amazing. And uh, I think part of what I part of the enjoyment I get out of these Hallmark movies, even when you know they're sort of, you know, giving you the soap bubble snow all the time, <laughs> is just that feeling of that wintry Christmas because it's it's never been part of my life. Well, and and that's that's always interesting to me is I I, I have. Uh, I have friends that have, well, they don't so much anymore, but they always used to ask me, like, well, when are you moving to Los Angeles? My answer was and remains, well, never. And uh, part of the reason, aside from let's, you know, let's take traffic for, you know, for granted here, but um, but part of it was also, like, I, I, I need to live somewhere where there's going to be a, a, at least a threat of seasons, um, and especially because <laughs> of that idea of growing up, like, uh White Christmas was sort of like that was that was sort of like a gift in amongst itself. Like you know, the chances are it wasn't going to be snowing on Christmas Day, but if it was like if it did, it didn't really matter what was under the tree because I needed to have snow or at least the threat of snow around Christmas time. And you are someone who that's that hasn't been your experience, and I'm just wondering how you live with that, Alonzo. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like when people ask me what it's what's it like to be you know the youngest of seven children. I don't know what it's like not. To be. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So I, I, you can't miss what you never had. <laughs> I, I I guess I guess that's true. Um, that's a good point. I'm 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 six five and I, I have been this way for uh, quite a while. So people are like, what's it like to be that tall? I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be. Not this tall. Not this tall. <laughs> um, so that, that's a that's a very good point. But yeah, I, I mean, if if you ever do, uh, I, I I love New York City. I, I love New York City around the holidays. It can be uh, you 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 the the rink is not only smaller than you thought it would be, but the the line is also going to be longer, and the price is also going to be higher than you expected to be. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean, the, the Macy's. Uh, I walk by the store every single day on my way to work. So around this time, it's quite wonderful with the window displays and all that kind of thing. And uh, it, it was funny because a few years ago, the uh, the theme in the windows was a, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, oh, nice! And uh, it just so happened that the the one day that I finally kind of got some time to go and 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 sit with them and kind of 
look at them and really enjoy them. It was, uh, I believe that was the year that here it was uh, 75 degrees and raining on Christmas Eve. So it, <laughs> it, it seemed rather uh, appropriate to, to watch Charlie Brown being a very uh, chagrined with his drooping Christmas tree. Um, it was very sultry in weather. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, absolutely was. Um, all right, so I guess a, a few a few more questions for you before we kind of get into the recommendations, but I guess... Um, first and most importantly, have you seen or heard of Snowman's? Uh, I've heard of it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I know that, that it came out on DVD this year after, I guess, premiering on cable last year, but I have not actually seen it. Yeah, you, Do I need to? Uh, I mean, I think you do. If, if, not, if nothing else, you should at least watch the trailer tonight. Um, okay. It, it involves um, a, 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 a love triangle, one of whom is a, a snowman that has come to life. So okay then, <laughs> yeah. As long as it's not played by Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, is is the Merry Gentleman worth watching? Oh, uh, I was actually thinking about Jack Frost. Uh, the oh, Merry Gentleman is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it has its moments, and and uh, there's a nice Kelly McDonald performance. Oh, fair enough. Um, okay, so two more questions for you, then we'll get into the recommendations. You're trapped on a desert island. You only have three Christmas movies you can take with you. What three are they? Ooh, let's see. Uh, hmm. Well, one would probably be the, uh, the 1970s Scrooge with Albert Finney. That's one of my favorite, a Christmas Carol adaptations. And I really like the song a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one would have to be It's a Wonderful Life because it's just so great. And and it is a movie that I do find myself finding new things in all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, maybe something just sort of like light and unabashedly sentimental. So uh, I'll go with Arthur Christmas. Okay. Wait, that is that the uh, the Vince Vaughn one? No, 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 no that's, that's Fred uh, Claus. It's that's Fred, Fred Claus. Claus. Sorry. Arthur Christmas is the uh, Ardman animated film. Ah, okay. Fair enough. All right. And then... Uh, the last one, so th- this one, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it, because normally if someone, like, if you were on here talking about Stanley Kubrick, I'd be like, okay, what is what is the one Stanley Kubrick film you've always wanted to see, whether that's something he started working on uh, and wasn't able to finish, or just a, a movie that was similar to him that you would have liked to see him done, so I'm trying to think of how I can translate that to, I guess, is there a... Uh, a Christmas movie you'd like to see, maybe one that was in the works that wasn't get finished, or is there a director that you'd like to see direct a Christmas movie? I guess what is, if there's this grandiose idea of uh, the the Christmas movie you would want to see, what would it be and why is it that? <laughs> wow. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'll say this. The movie that I would love to see get released in the United States uh, on home video that never has because of weird uh, uh, copyright legal tie-ups mm-hmm. is a 40s noir film uh, directed by Robert Shodmack called uh, Christmas Holiday. Mm-hmm. And it features Deanna Durbin, uh, you know, who's a, a child singing star in her first adult role okay. playing a, a woman who is – you know, this is a code era movie, so they don't come out and say this, but she's a singer in a whorehouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, a soldier meets her, and uh, she pours out the tragic story of her life that involves her marriage to a um, compulsive gambling, mommy obsessed murderer mm-hmm. played by Gene Kelly. <laughs> okay, that was a twist. Yeah, it's a one of his first film roles, her first adult film role, and actually it's a it's a very effective noir. But um, I think it's based on a Somerset Maugham short story, and somehow it's one of those 
things that like like how rear window was you know you couldn't see for years mm-hmm. um so yeah so almost nobody in the states knows about this movie uh screenplay by herman mankowitz who co-wrote uh citizen kane mm. um and uh yeah it's a it's a cool little movie that uh, i i keep hoping every year you know tcm or somebody is gonna dig out of the vault and and legally find a way to share it with the world so yeah that's the one i would like is is, is a, a decent blu-ray release in the u.s of christmas holiday Part of me would be morbidly curious to see, and, I, and I'm trying to think to see if even any of his films could be construed this way, but I don't think so. Part of me would be morbidly curious to see Quentin Tarantino direct a Christmas movie, uh, just because I think if there is someone who would sort of misunderstand what makes the season so special, I think it would be him. Uh, so, I, so I'd be curious to see what he would do with it, and I feel like it would be. I'm reminded of a. I recently read today uh, John Waters' top ten films of the year, um, mm. and his number one. I forget the name of it, but uh, he described it as it's the best film of the year. You'll hate it, uh, and I feel like that's <laughs> oh, what would happen. The, yeah, the Joan of Arc movie. You know what? I'm glad you mentioned John Waters because you've reminded me of the of the non-existent Christmas movie that I do want to make happen. Okay. Uh, John Waters has written a screenplay called Fruitcake. Okay. Uh, it's his Christmas movie, mm-hmm. and for lo these many years has not gotten backing for it, and I keep wanting, you know, Megan Ellison or some other, like, crazy rich movie financier to sort of dig in the sofa cushions and give him the 15 or 20 million bucks he would need to make this movie, which I'm sure would be hilarious because he does love Christmas. He writes about it all the time, and... Uh, uh, I think, you know, that we need a John Waters Christmas movie and somebody just has to make that happen. God, a John Waters Christmas movie would be so bombastic. Mm. That'd be wonderful. Um, okay, yeah. So, all right. Well, that's that's that. But I guess uh, we're, we're, we're here to to get to here i suppose um and it's it's kind of funny you've already we've already talked about so many you've already uh, recommended and talked about so many films none of which are actually the recommendations you're going to be talking about um but i guess before we get into them we should kind of i guess define what we're talking about by offbeat christmas movies and i guess listeners to be honest with you i'm not even 100% sure we kind of uh, we, we sort of define what we're what we're thinking about for Christmas movies, but I think, and Alonzo, you can add to this or disagree with it. But when I was thinking of offbeat, was sort of not the typical sort of saccharine, uh, you know, the sentimental kind, which isn't necessarily to say not even the Hallmark movies, but just the ones like I mean, one of my favorites is National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation, which I guess you could consider offbeat. But I was thinking more of something which is a little bit. One of the was some of those movies that you wouldn't necessarily think about as Christmas movies until you watch them and think about them like, oh yeah. But I, yeah. I, I guess what what are what were you thinking? Well, because you know, I, I think if we've learned anything from this endless diehard argument is that people have very <laughs> sort of strict walls between what they consider Christmas movie and not a Christmas movie. Yeah. And you know, Christmas movie has to be either about Santa Claus or about yeah. like adorable urchins. Uh, you know, and it has to have snow and it has to be. Uh, you know, you know, a sort of family-friendly, sentimental holiday film. And again, you know, Eyes Wide Shut is totally a Christmas movie. So yep. there's a whole a lot of different ways you can you can come at this. And so when you asked me for offbeat suggestions, I kind of went for ones that no one is immediately thinking of when they think about Christmas movies. But again, you watch them and you're like, oh yeah, the, this there's a lot of Christmas going on here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Alonzo and I had a little bit of a, of a back and forth. I know when I was defining Christmas uh, a Christmas movie it was sort of um, the, some type of narrative thrust or drive had to be sort of affected by Christmas. And so, you know, I, one of the first movies that popped in my head was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. 
Um, you know, the, the, in the opening, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is initially gets his big break because he's trying to flee from the cops as he's breaking into a toy store during Christmas. And I was thinking even maybe The Apartment could be considered a Christmas movie under those loose oh, terms. Um, but And both of those are in my book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and The Apartment, I should say, is a, gets my vote for the, the perfect screenplay, but that's just neither here nor there. Um, so why don't we get into uh, the main event, the reason that we're here, the recommendations. So Alonzo, what is the, and, and you can go in any order any order you want, it doesn't have to be the order that you uh, that you laid out, but the first recommendation that you have for an offbeat Christmas movie is going to be... Uh, Danny Boyle's Millions. Hmm. Uh, this is, you know, a, a, a movie that people tend to kind of forget even exists because it's yeah. the only remotely family-friendly movie that I think Danny Boyle has made to date. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess maybe Slumdog Millionaire, but uh, but no, this one actually has has a, a young hero and is is very much, I think, a movie that uh, if you have kids, you should watch it with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a movie that uh, years and years ago, when I lived with my parents and had access to uh, to premium cable channels. I DVR'd, sat down to watch, and for some reason turned off after 10 or 15 minutes. And I think it was because at that point my primary exposure to Danny Boyle had been 28 Days Later. And I watched Millions, I said, this is nothing uh-huh. like that, and turned it off. But um, <laughs> I, I guess. It is more, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, and Danny Boyle is such a fascinating filmmaker because I, I keep thinking. Um, and maybe this is even something I should side note. I guess if I brought someone on here one day to talk about Danny Boyle, I'd be interesting because it seems like he's he's a filmmaker that doesn't really have a consistent type of story that he goes for. I mean, you think of you have millions, you have Twenty Eight Days Later, you have Slumdog Millionaire, you have um, Why Am I Blank? Another Danny Boyle film, Shallow Grave. Um, life, nothing but. <laughs> yeah, it, it's but anyway. So no, so no, not, not that one. What what's the one with uh, with Cameron Diaz? Oh, uh, are you thinking of a lifeless ordinary? A lifeless ordinary. Thank you. I, yes. I don't know. Did did he he did direct that? Yeah, and the the beach sunshine. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that uh, 127 hours just sort of yeah. trance. Like, yeah. Oh my, I forgot about that one. But anyway, so so millions. I guess without even spoiling or talking, what what is what? Why was millions one of them? Well, uh, because again, I, I think it, it, it's a it's a movie that people don't always think about as a Christmas movie, but but absolutely is. And and if if you really want to attach it to the rest of Boyle's filmography, it does technically fall under the category of bag full of money movie, <laughs> uh, which uh, Train Spotting was, and so was uh, uh, Shallow Grave, and I think one or two others of the of the early films. Um, but it is about a young boy whose uh, mother has died recently, mm-hmm. and he and his father an older brother um, have moved out to the suburbs and um, he has this complex uh, a series of cardboard boxes that he plays in outside he communicates with the saints in the hopes of being able to to talk to his his late mother mm-hmm. and one day um, a bag of money gets thrown from a passing train and uh, crashes through the, the the cardboard boxes and he's got to figure out what to do with it he tries to give it to charity um, he, he tries to uh, you know sort of uh, share it with with other kids and um, the movie provides an interesting ticking clock by having the fictional twist that uh the pound is converting Mm. to the euro at the end of the year so he's got to figure out what to do with all of the money before then Mm. and um you know i what one of the things that i really love that it that it does is uh how it, it it captures the sort of 
uh, effort of a family to get through that first Christmas after the loss of a parent, uh, which is always really a challenge for a family. And so the, the father's trying to keep things together and, you know, the sons are sort of both acting out in their own weird way. But at the same time, like if they get caught in a jam, they're not above playing the, oh, me mum's dead card if they need. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's a really charming film and I, I like it a lot. And, and I, I think that it, you know, it's not just the sort of New Year's thing that, that kind of makes it Christmassy. It really is dealing with, like I said, the, the, the coping with that loss over the holiday and and, you know, the way that this kid sort of you know, communicates, thinks he's communicating with God, thinks he's communicating with like, you know, the patron saint of television or whatever. <laughs> and, and so I, I really like the whole, there's a crazy, um, um, uh, uh, like nativity scene, school pageant play. Those are always funny in a movie if you do them right. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a movie that, uh, that, that more people should know about. Yeah. And it's, it's, <laughs> It's really interesting because this is a in in a in a fun little game of uh, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, it, it's millions is sandwiched in between twenty eight days later and sunshine as the as two oh. as two Danny Boyle products. So you can kind of see how this one uh, might have gotten a little uh, overlooked, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you're right. He does have the kind of filmography where it's sort of hard to pin him down, but but this. Uh, I think you know it's sort of. I was I was talking to somebody recently who was telling me that he found out that his father had been had played a small role in a kids movie directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis, and I was like, whoa, 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 back up. <laughs> Herschel Gordon Lewis made a kids movie, <laughs> and apparently it was sort of a fur hire gig, and it's all but lost to, to history. Um, so yeah, it just it doesn't you know it's it's one that will be when 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 the people sit down to do the you know kind of career retrospectives they'll have to figure out how to fit it in with everything else. Yeah, this is really I am I am looking forward. To, I mean, I consider myself a Danny Boyle fan, and you know, like I'm going through his his resume on I do, on <laughs> I do movies badly on uh, IMDb, um, and he's done so much stuff and so much of it I forgot that he did. Uh, like I mean, you you mentioned Trance, I forgot he did Steve Jobs. Um, oh right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that was apparently, and I, I think it's, uh, I think it's best that we all forget that he did the beach as well. But yeah, I've still never seen it, but nothing I've ever heard has convinced me that I need to. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, I, I know, I, I know everyone associated with it is not proud of it, including Danny Boyle. Um, and I believe it was uh, the film that was responsible for a long time, at least, um, driving a wedge between him and you and McGregor. Um, mm. Yeah, because I believe. He was originally going to cast Ewan McGregor in the Leonardo DiCaprio role, and then he instead cast Leonardo DiCaprio in the Leonardo DiCaprio role. And that was the end of things for a while. But um, that is neither here nor there, because the here is uh, is Millions, which I am... Yeah, I, this this is something I should I should have revisited long ago, and I have not, so I'm, I'm glad that you are um recommending it. So, and uh, of course, as I, as I say, every introductory episode, I'll say it again... Um, I'm going to get into more detail on availability of titles when I go into the individual um, title episode, but this one, um, if, if you have a Star subscription, congratulations, you can stream it for free, otherwise it appears to be available for rental uh, or purchase on Amazon. So, we have um, Danny Boyle's Millions um, as recommendation number one, and so what do you have for us for number two, Alonzo? So, number two, this is, uh, again, I mean, a, a movie that I think... It, you know, you can you can poke holes in it. It's it's not a, necessarily a classic, but I think it is an interesting film to consider from the 
perspective of it being a Christmas movie because I don't know that anybody who was making it thought of it that way, although it is very much set during that era and I think uh, uses the Christmas season uh, to, to, to sort of um, inspire some really interesting art directing choices. Hmm. And that's in that 1987 screen adaptation of Less Than Zero, uh, based on the novel by Brett Easton Ellis, hmm. um, is about a college freshman returning to Los Angeles during Christmas and uh, trying to piece together relationships with his girlfriend and his best friend um, who seem to be spiraling out of control. Um, uh, it, the, the, the movie has its problems. You know, the, the book is for its flaws, I think a, a very nihilistic and, and, uh, you know, fairly bleak in its, its presentation of sort of kind of soul dead, you know, jaded hedonistic, uh, young, beautiful people in Los Angeles. And whereas the, the characters in the book can't seem to muster too much, uh, worry about, uh, other people's, you know, slides or, or, you know, just kind of, or their own shortcomings. Uh, the movie is pretty earnest and it, it often feels a little more like, um, after school, especially than it intends to, in terms of its sort of horror about, you know, <laughs> drugs and sex and whatnot. Um, what I like about the movie is, you know, you mentioned kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shane Black really loves, uh, he loves Christmas and he loves Christmas in LA because there's a, a sort of extra level of artificiality. You know, yeah. he's a city where it never snows, but you know, when at come Christmas time, we, we unroll the cotton batting and we put up the twinkle <laughs> lights and we sort of try and approximate like the, the sort of sparkle of winter. And so this movie, uh, you know, the way that it presents a kind of decadent Beverly Hills Christmas, uh, at the time really felt, uh, like something we hadn't seen before in terms of the the sort of you know the, the, this this wonderful gaudiness covering up these kind of empty lives. Um, <laughs> you know, nowadays for the holidays you can buy a bag of M and M's that are all red and green, but back then you had to actually sort of art direct that to make that happen. And so <laughs> see these big bowls of red and green M and M's, I was like, oh, what a great idea. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it, it's a, it, you know, even Brett Easton Ellis sort of has, has kind of gone back and forth on the movie as far as what works for him and what doesn't. And he's kind of come at, come, you know, he's found peace with it over the years. Um, but, and if you don't think about it too much in terms of the novel, the movie itself is pretty effective in, in a lot of ways. It has a great Robert Downey Jr. performance. Again, another, another tie to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> um, this was probably, in fact, I think the movie that kind of, put Downey on the map as far as like, oh, this guy is a, is a serious actor. Like before that, he had done, you know, like weird science and sort of kind of you know, goofy supporting roles. But, you know, this movie and then you had Chaplin a few years later really kind of established this guy as like, OK, this is an important young actor who's, you know, who's got stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this was a this was a movie which is also. Not at the front of my mind, but it's something I, I was reading through recently in regards to um, <laughs> failed adaptations, I guess. And, and, and I believe at one point in his career, um, Brady Snells was, uh, was quoted as saying something to the effect of, like, I, you know, I saw the movie and I didn't see any of my book up there. Um, but, but, you know, Brady Snells is also, uh, you know, not my favorite character either. So, <laughs> uh, um, He's got a pity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he does. Um, but directed by or uh, adapted by a guy named Harley Payton, who um, I already have a fondness for because I see that he is uh, an executive producer and uh, co-executive producer on 
Channel Zero, which is a show that I am uh, quite a fan of at this point. Um, yeah, in the, you mentioned Shane Black, and that's interesting to me because I, I can never tell, and I guess it's a. I guess it's a love-hate relationship because I can never tell. I know he he lives in L.A. and and all of his films are sort of based in and around L.A., but I can never tell if he actually hates Los Angeles because of how much he seems to always make fun of Los Angeles in his movies. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, it's easy to have a love-hate relationship with the city. I mostly love it, but it's the sort of thing where, you know, when people tell me the things that they they hate the most, I can't say they're wrong. Right. It's just a question of whether or not, you know, they're a deal breaker. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and, and this is yeah, this is interesting. I, I, I know you had sent me a, a list of a bunch that you were thinking of, and I guess I, I saw less than zero and didn't consider that you would actually ever recommend less than zero. So I'm, 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 I'm kind of I'm trying to, to to play catch up here because this is yeah I don't know this this is always one that I guess um, rightly or wrongly history and consensus has kind of come along and say like this is a, a a either a not a great movie or a movie which is sort of a relic of the the time and the place that it came out and doesn't seem to hold up as much yeah i mean i think it, it is interesting as an adaptation when you look at it in terms of what the literary world was ready to accept in the 1980s versus what the sort of big studio cinematic world was was ready to accept. And I think you could have done an indie version of this movie that would have been truer to the book. But, uh, you know, there is something about the bodlerization of it on its way to the screen that I think <laughs> says a lot about where we were as a country. And, you know, this is sort of like the just say no Nancy Reagan adaptation of this book that was otherwise rather <laughs> You know, scathing in its presentation of of you know youthful decadence. Right, and that's what I was going to say is that it's it's interesting. It's like, oh, this is a Brett Easton Ellis novel, but like right in the heart of like Reagan's America. So how does that even really work? I mean, the one thing they did right was that they hired filmmaker Marek Kanievska, mm-hmm. who had just done Another Country, which is about the sort of British boarding school days of. Um, Oh God! Now I'm blanking on their names. The, uh, the 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 guys who would later become British spies, you know, the double agents for the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, Guy Burgess and uh, Burgess and McLean, uh, you know, and and really addressed, um, you know, the the Burgess character who's played by uh, uh, Rupert Everett, you know, how his homosexuality, or rather his his very open homosexuality, kind of made him a pariah in this boarding school, and how the idea that that would sort of set him against the aristocracy of which he was a member and lead to him becoming a spy for the Soviets. Um, you know, sadly, there was not nearly that level of understanding of, of gay people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the in the book, uh, the lead character is very casually bisexual and it's not a big deal at all. Whereas in the movie, we know that Robert Downey Jr.'s character has gone irredeemably you know like hit bottom uh when he has to start like having sex with men to pay for his cocaine debts um you know so it, it's a it's a much more pearl clutchy movie but i do love it for the the like i said the the 80s art direction that's going on i think it's a cool way to present christmas <clears throat> um also featuring james spader which i mean if nothing else at least your movie's got james spader in it Oh, yeah. And in one of his bastardiest bastard roles of that era, like people talk about Pretty in Pink, but the, that, that guy's got nothing on James Spader in Less Than Zero. <laughs> what, about, um, what about James Spader in Three Days in the Valley? Oh, I'm sure he'd rather we all forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. 
Um, seems like uh, once again, you you lucky subscribers or uh, to stars will also be able to get to see uh, Lesson Zero for free um, that way as well. Um, okay, so this is this is this is interesting because once again, Alonzo had kind of you know peeked behind the curtain and kind of sent me a list of a bunch of movies he was thinking of, and I guess. Um, in, in, in my short-sightedness had only kind of seen the last three and said, these sound great. Um, and so he's, yeah. he, he's been, I fear now that I'm I, I, about midway through this conversation. It's like, Oh God, am I working off the wrong list now? Uh, so well, I hope this works. You, you know, if it, if it doesn't, I'll, I guess I'll just drag your good name through the mud on Twitter because that, <laughs> that seems to work. Okay. So millions. Well, you, you, men, you mentioned Westerns earlier, so we'll, we'll cap this off then with, uh, with John Ford's three Godfathers. Yes. Okay. Uh, which is a movie that got made quite a few times, like uh, there, oh. all the way back to the silent era. Uh, there's a John Ford version of this that no longer exists. Uh, and then there was a 1930s three Godfathers that was um, on uh, that was on Filmstruck, which sadly you can no longer get yeah. it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was followed by another uh, Ford version that was made with uh, John Wayne and Pedro Amandares in 1948. And so that's, I think, the, the, the most accessible one. So we'll, we'll talk about that version. Um, although if you've seen the anime film um, Tokyo Godfathers, it also sort of uh, following the same story. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and, and when, when you had mentioned this one, this one was the one that I was most interested by because this one seemed to me the most difficult or the hardest because Christmas sort of, as you said, it sort of has this idea of, of healing and togetherness and that sort of thing. And, and the Western genre is one which a lot of time hinges on that thing of inside versus the outside and loneliness and sort of even just the settings and desolation. So I was, I was very curious as to how this one is going to work. Well, I, you know, I, again, put this in the category of redemption. You have your lead characters are bank robbers. Uh, the, the movie opens with them uh, robbing a bank in a small town in Arizona. Uh, but as they flee, one of their water bags gets shot. And so they're out in the desert with a limited amount of water. And uh, they then come across uh, a, a widowed woman um, who is on the verge of giving birth. She barely survives, but the baby lives, and so it's now uh, incumbent upon the three of them to figure out how to get the baby back to civilization before they die of thirst. And uh, even if getting that kid, the baby, to civilization means that they'll be arrested for uh, for the bank robbery. And so, you know, obviously, when you have three men and a baby, it definitely calls to mind the uh, the Magi. But in a broad in a broader sense, it you have these guys who are criminals for for various reasons, you know, whether they're sort of selfish or just a a matter of survival, Um, but putting the life of this innocent above their own self-interest, you know, in a way that really kind of, I think, makes this a very sentimental holiday tale that happens to be, you know, a a shoot-em-up John Ford Western. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say this, if not for well, no, I, I guess I should. Well, this is that's the bad way or or the wrong way. Sorry for my stumbling. It's a little bit late for me here on the East Coast as of recording this, but this will be only the second John Ford movie that I will ever seen uh, in my entire life. The first being um, the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. But yeah, the, thanks to this, thanks to you, Alonzo, I, I will be seeing a little bit more John Ford in my life. 
Oh, excellent. Well, uh, you know, I'm not your I'm not the best guide for you on this one, but I think you should totally put John Ford on your list of uh, future uh, month themes. He's uh, he will go on uh, what is becoming quite an extensive list of filmmakers that I would <laughs> love to talk about. So, but yeah, th- this was um uh yeah, like I said when you when you recommended this one, this one or when you listed this one as a possibility, it was like this is going to be um quite an interesting one. Um, and, and something that I had, uh, not even a film that I had, uh, known ever to have existed before. So this is, you're, uh, you throw me for a, a few loops here, but I, I, I think that's, that's only going to be beneficial for me because I find that a lot of times, um, the movies that I respond, not, not the least to, but the ones that I sort of have a trouble with are ones that I've gone into with a certain expectation. Um, and so by doing this, you have sort of, uh, reset my palette, if you will. So I have, um... Uh, at least two films now where I'm just sort of like, okay, I'm going in here cold turkey and we're, we're going to see how it goes. Well, you know, and, and, and to be honest, like uh, the Westerns is probably, if you had to list my, the genres that I know the least mm-hmm. Westerns would, would be prominent among them, you know, but again, what's been so interesting about taking this dive into Christmas movies is that it, it dovetails with so many different kinds of films and, and kinds of filmmakers, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I probably watched a lot more horror movies for this book than, than I, I normally ever do, you know, and, and seeing Westerns like this or, you know, movies like, uh, you know, All Mine to Give, which are not technically Westerns, but, you know, sort of set in the uh, in the in the 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 the, the, the westward expansion period, you know, um, has been really kind of eye opening. And, and I think that, again, the, you can find these sort of themes um, that connect, you know, really disparate films. You know, when I when I put Home Alone next to A Christmas Carol, people kind of cock an eyebrow, but I think they sort of get what I'm talking about. And this one is the same way. It's like it's it, it's it's not identical to to that uh, storytelling trope, but it is very much a, a a thing about people discovering their best selves at Christmas time and making sacrifices and sort of you know doing the right thing you know for for whatever motivating factor uh, that they might not have done you know at another time of year well and it just kind of goes to show I, I mean sure nowadays it's sort of Christmas has become a, a billion dollar industry so of course companies try and commodify it and sell it and that sort of thing but it just kind of goes to show you that whether you want to believe it comes from a, a, a spiritual place or just a humanity place or whatever, there is something about this kind of a universal truth of the capital T about this season and what it brings out in people that just sort of continues to, to you know, stand the test of time and just something which is sort of a, a, a great unifier. And that, at the end of the day, for me, is sort of why I love this season so much is is, is just that kind of thing where it's sort of like there's there's something for everybody and there's even if it's paying lip service there's still this idea of like people are going to come together and be sort of connected in this thing and that's that's i think speaks to the truth of that yeah i agree i think it's the time of year where we think let's give this a shot let's see how it works <laughs> right. we're we're gonna almost immediately regret it but at least yeah why not we'll we'll, yeah, we'll have tried <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been it's been 11 or 12 months i guess we could we could always try it again so um <laughs> Uh, three and now it is now. Uh, sadly, I, I never got around to actually spending the money on the subscription. Is Filmstruck done, or is Filmstruck done at the end of the year? 
Film Shark is done. It, done. it uh, November 29th was its last day, unfortunately. So uh, a lot of us were sort of furiously trying to get through our uh, our watch list in time. Yeah. Uh, I, I did manage to squeeze in the last couple of films that I knew were going to be hard to find elsewhere. But uh, yeah, it is uh, it is gone. There's going to be some kind of Warner Media streaming service next year where there's going to be sort of various tiers involved. Um, but uh, you know it. it I don't. Who knows if it'll be the same? Okay. We'll see. Well, then unfortunately, um, I guess Three Godfathers is no longer available on Filmstruck. But um, your good friend um, rental and purchase on Amazon, which um, it, it didn't even occur to me until right now. This, I've been trying to actually um, avoid doing any Christmas shopping as much as I possibly can um, away from Amazon this year. And uh, just when I get out, they pull me right back in. Unfortunately, yeah, it always works that way. This is a, <laughs> so, and, and I guess just as a. Um, as a, a recap, I wow, I've I've already it's been so long ago I've already forgot which uh, what the first one was that you recommended to me. Uh, millions. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's right. So we got we got as a recap, millions, uh, less than zero, and uh, the three Godfathers. So um, I got my my work cut out for me, and uh, um, as as is always the case, I'm I'm excited. I was a little bit trepidatious in a in October with Dario Argento month, and my skepticism proved to be valid but that is neither here nor there <laughs> so um i guess um alonzo if uh if, if people did not listen to our previous conversation have only listened to this one they think wow this guy is absolutely delightful i want to know more about this uh about this this enthusiast of christmas where can people find your stuff well i am delightful so i'm glad they think so <laughs> uh you can find me on twitter at a duralde a d as in david u r a l d e um i uh, am the film reviews editor at the rap so you can read my stuff at t h e w r a p uh, dot com and i co-host the linoleum po- sorry the linoleum knife podcast with my husband dave white we're at patreon.com slash linoleum knife and i'm also a co-host of uh who shot ya on the maximum fund network at maximumfund.org um, and of course, it's easy enough to get in touch with me. Uh, you can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Um, find uh, I Do Movies Badly on Facebook. You can also find it, uh, the podcast, on iTunes, on Podbean, and um, you can catch up on back episodes at battleshippretension.com, where you can always leave comments in the comment field. Um, it's mostly just one person who leaves comments, but I try to respond to that person as much as I can. <laughs> um, you know, if you know, if I've if I got a fan, I have to try and keep that fan around, Alonzo. I don't know. They're going to make the effort for sure. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Um, <coughs> Alonzo, I want to I want to thank you for for coming back and and uh, taking part in this conversation with me. Um, Always a pleasure. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I will say I will say this to you, Alonzo, but not to the the listeners. But Alonzo, um, since we probably won't be talking uh, or seeing each other face to face anytime soon, I will I will wish you and your husband a merry Christmas, of course. Um, Same to y'all. Yeah, and uh, and um, listeners, um, I. Hope you are going to enjoy this uh, this ride through December and through offbeat Christmas movies with me. Um, and of course, I'd be remiss if I did not say to uh, any and all Jewish listeners that I have um, a happy Hanukkah to you. I know that it is as of this recording, it is already the it is the second night of Hanukkah, I believe, and I um, am coming to it late. But I, I hope you are enjoying your your festival of lights as well. And um, yeah, thank you, Alonzo, once again. And uh, listeners, be sure to um, tune in next week where I'll be discussing millions, and well, hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.